everybody, and welcome to Comics and Cinema. I'm your host, Alex Klein, and do you feel that in the air? Uh, it's a crackling, a, sort of a vibrating in the air of uh, just a, a slight static. There's something special about today. Uh, and I'm not just talking about it being May the 4th. Now, I, obviously, May the 4th be with you all. There are many of new, many, many new Star Wars shows and con- content on Disney Plus ready for you all to watch. But no, no, that, that, that's not the static. That's not what I'm talking about. It's something... Something a little grainier, something a little sandy. Uh, I'm referring to the 20-year anniversary of The Mummy Returns. That is right, guys. I couldn't be happier right now. Uh, It is on this day, on this recording, the 20th anniversary. The Mummy Returns is turning 20. Let's celebrate. Uh, Maybe not for The Mummy one year ago in terms of being able to have a drink, but... I think they should be able to get vaccinated if they're 20. I think under 16, they can't. So uh, very great opportunity, I'm sure. Um, I don't know how far I want to take this. Uh, I was going to say, you know, I'm sure Noxuna Moon and Imhotep could definitely benefit from getting a vaccine. Uh, probably, probably the Johnson & Johnson because I doubt they'll, uh, they're not going to be around long enough to come back to get that second shot. But also at the same time, they, uh, they're really old. So they, they should get to the front of the line. Um, yeah, anyway, I, I'm so sorry. This is I have a feeling this is going to be the theme of this episode, but I'm glad for it, guys. I'm really glad for it. This is – I'm going to try to inject as much comedy as I can into this episode because I understand and acknowledge that this movie is not everybody's favorite movie. Uh, it's sitting at a 6.4 on IMDb, 300,000 reviews. Uh, it's got a 48 on Meta- Metacritic. And, you know, just just for fun on today, whoa, uh, there's some really good reviews on here. And these are, these are just snippets, guys. Mummy Returns. First off, uh, congratulations, Steven Summers. You pulled it off. You did it again. Written and directed by, you got the entire original cast back. And uh, honestly, better than ever, if you're asking me. So, um, you know, we're getting some reviews here. Uh, USA Today, Susan Walsina said, uh, gave it a 75. There's much mumbo jumbo about past lives and symbolic tattoos, but who cares when you can gaze at a sight as lovely as a dirigible floating in the night sky? Uh, that was the top uh, review. Uh, also, the lowest review from Lawrence Totman at Ironic that he's at the bottom, Charlotte Observer. This might all have been silly fun as it was in the 1999 version, except for the carelessness carelessness of the whole picture. Uh, I, uh, interesting. I don't agree. Wow, Joe Morgenstern from Wall Street Journal says this frenzied sequel has all of the clank, but none of the swank of the previous version. I don't disagree with that for a tiny bit, though. I gotta say, guys, and I'm sure you were you're gonna guess it. My review is a lot more positive than these people. Uh, Jay Carr from Boston Globe too. You know, he said if you liked the earlier Mummy, you'll probably like this one. In fact, at many points, you'll probably think you'll wa- you're watching the earlier one. Well, guys, I'm here to tell you that I also watched all the special features for the Mummy Returns, and that is exactly what they were shooting for. The, uh, it was actually really funny. Um, there was a bunch of different interviews with all of the stars. We got 
Rachel Weiss, uh, Brendan Fraser, John Hanna, Arnold Vosloo, Oded Fair, and I believe I'm trying to. Oh, and then of course there's a fantastic interview with Dwayne Johnson in there, The Rock as the Scorpion King. Uh, just a, a lot to dive into on this, so we'll see if we can pull off how long it's going to take. And I, I just want to preface this, guys. I said it in the first one. The Mummy Returns is a seminal movie for me. This is a uh, I one of those films when when I watch it, I I get a rush of emotions, feelings, memories of the time when this movie came out, when I saw it. But the best part about this is I too I truly believe this movie holds up. I saw it in 4K and it really looked good. Uh, again, still some instances where you can see that there is, uh, you know, obviously that there's CGI and that it's a little outdated. But what I was really impressed with in watching the special features is they used ILM for uh, industrial lighting and magic for the uh, for the um, the CGI. And it was the same crew, same people who did the first Mummy movie, which was just fantastic. So uh, and what I was saying is all these interviews with all of these actors and with the directors, some some producers, they all said the only reason – they talked about it. They talked about a sequel. Everyone talks about sequels. And again, this could all be uh, you know marketing mumbo-jumbo, but based on the quality of these interviews – and I, I don't think so. I think this was an off-the-cuff sort of thing. But they all said, we, they had talked after the movie ended, the first Mummy movie. They said they wanted to do a sequel, but they only wanted to do that sequel if it was going to be better. If they had a story that was going to make everything better, that it wasn't going to be some sort of retread. Uh, and and it, was, it was kind of funny. All of them kept saying that it had to be better. And, which is ironic, because that first movie, I think, is perfect. And while this movie does not reach the perfection that the first movie is so close to achieving, uh, it, it gets pretty damn close, I'd say. And I would say it's sky high in that regard. I, I'm thinking about being in that dirigible myself, floating in the stars, uh, just thinking about ancient Egypt. And uh, so... You know, they and I liked that. And as I was watching it, like I said in my last review too, there's a lot from this movie that stuck with me more than the original Mummy movie, which is ironic because I, I like the original one better. There's just so many more quotes from this movie and so many more cool action scenes. And that is why this movie gets one point less than the first one is I think part of the reason they thought better meant more action and I would have argued that better would mean a little bit more lore, a little bit more story development. And you could say, hey, whoa, Alex, there's quite a bit of lore in this movie. And I agree with you, uh, Alex, that yes, there is a lot of lore in this movie, but there's a couple of things that I think could have been better, and we're going to dive into that right now. So again, Brendan Fraser, Rachel Wise, they're back as Rick and Evie O'Connell. And uh, they now have a kid. So this movie takes place 10 years after the first movie. Their son, Alex. Why? Come on, guys. Come on. You, you don't think I didn't like this movie? The, the, you know, hearing Brendan Fraser and uh, my crush, Rachel Wise, saying the my name. Can't beat that. That's You just can't beat it. And, uh, you know, I think John Hanna says it as well. And I wouldn't mind that. He's from, he was in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, and me, oh, does I have to go back? It's time to do a rewatch. I need to see if Patricia Velasquez is also says my name because I, I need that too. So they got a kid. They are uh, they're adventurers at this time. So they they I like that they said it ten years later because I would have 
I would have been like, what? There's no way that you're going to be digging up mummies when you have a tiny little baby. But we, you know, we skip ahead from all of that. And it's like this kid, he is super smart. He knows everything about Egypt. He can read Egyptian and understand ancient Egyptian, uh, which is super cool. But at the same time, uh, we are diving into the background or I guess a, and I would call it, I wouldn't call it contrived, but we get a story, a backstory for Evie and Rick. And so all of this is, is culminating around the Scorpion King. And I know you guys have heard me mention this movie. You've heard me mention the Scorpion King. Uh, we will be doing a review for the Scorpion King. Don't you worry. Uh, because he is, he's larger than life. He is one of the, uh, one of the best villains ever. And, uh, I mean that with half sincerity. So he, he's actually, and, and sadly my, one of my biggest problem with this movie. And that is because I really liked the Scorpion King movie. And obviously it came out afterwards, but the character that they create in the Scorpion King is a little different, and obviously he's younger, but he's different than this Scorpion King. This guy's a little little more evil, a little more twisted, and I think in the original Scorpion King, you're getting a Matthias who is uh, a little younger, a little more uh, wanting to do the right thing, I guess you could say. So a very stark difference from the Matthias that we see in this movie. We actually don't even know that his name is Matthias in this movie, only that he is the Scorpion King played by Dwayne the Rock Johnson. And so how, I guess, you know, they're probably talking, Stephen Summers talking with all the other producers, and he says, well, so we've got a script. It's a good-looking script. It looks great. We've got really cool character development for these characters. How are we going to open this movie? How are we going to really show people that this is something new? Well, I know. What if we What if we put The Rock right in the, be- the beginning of this movie? Wow, Stephen, you're a genius. Uh, and I think I think that's probably how the conversation went. For those of you that are trivia nerds, this is the first movie that Dwayne Johnson ever starred in. Uh, you can check the math, go onto his IMDb profile. He has over 100 um, uh, credits. A lot of those are WWE, and he was in, and I only know this because I was looking at it yesterday, uh, he was in an episode of, I think it was That 70s Show and of ER. Honestly, guys, everyone's been in ER um, but, uh, then his first, his first role was the Scorpion King. And then funny enough, this interview that's in the special features, uh, old Dwayne, he, uh, he, it's so funny to see him in this interview. I would honestly, if you've got a way to watch this, it, you probably just type in, uh, the rock Scorpion King interview. And it is, and I hope you guys aren't hearing my stomach grumble. Um, I just heard it, or I felt it, but yikes. Uh, he must be trying to tell me the Scorpion King is coming. But in this interview, he's explaining that, and the Scorpion King is his first lead role. His first role is the lead of a movie, which, again, though, is just his second film at this point. And the lady's asking him, like, why did you choose this to be your first movie sort of thing? And I was thinking about that, too. Like, wow, you know, The Rock, he is he is a force to be reckoned with. He truly is a boulder in that regard. Uh, why would he pick this movie, guys? Why, huh? Why? Why would Dwayne The Rock Johnson pick Mummy Returns as his first movie? I rest my case. Look, that's all I gotta say, is if The Rock thinks this is the best thing for him, uh, this is the best thing for us. But it was funny, because in, in that interview, I think he refers to himself as The Rock a couple of times, but he also talks a lot about how 
Uh, this movie felt, the Scorpion King felt like a larger-than-life character, obviously. Uh, and he said The Rock is like a larger-than-life character, so he felt like it, it made sense. It was a, an easy transition for him. And I'd say, hey, you know, you know, Stephen Summer probably wrote this thinking about The Rock, and so that's great. I mean, can you smell what The Rock is cooking? It's Scorpion, because what happens is, in the beginning of this movie, he is a, uh, a warrior, and he's fighting and, and conquering, and he gets to a point where his entire army kind of dies off, and he's wandering the desert and about to die, and he makes a pact with Anubis and says to him, I will give you my soul if you help me, if you like give me life, save my life, and help me defeat my enemies. And a little scorpion pops up out of the sand, and he has to eat it. So we get to see the rock eat a scorpion. I don't know if it's real or not. I'm assuming it is. But he uh, does so, and then an oasis pops in front of him. And it's the oasis of Amsher is what it says. And so now there's this giant oasis in the desert. And next we see him literally conquering his enemies with the army of Anubis. I personally think the army of Anubis is one of the greatest inventions of all time. Uh, there's a great interview in the special features around this army and talking about how, and, and it's so funny when you look at it because for those of you out there that are going to talk crap about this movie and talk about how the CGI is bad and there's blah, 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 blah. Think of this. These guys explained that they spent months and months, and I think they said months three times, researching animals different types of dogs uh different they they said that they actually looked into the iconography around anubis in every single uh piece of cinema that it had been in since since the beginning of cinema so they said they were looking at the old mummy movies they were looking at they didn't list all the movies but i'm just think, thinking to myself like can you imagine if somebody put that much hard work into something and came up, and, and they're showing it as the previs and showing how they captured it. Honestly, it looks good. Even today, it looks good. You've got an Anubis dog howling with a pharaoh's cap on and some cool threads and a giant double-bladed axe. How is that not? Oh, by the way, you think that's cool? How about a million of them across the sands of Egypt racing to fight the Magi? Like, to me, this, and it's funny because this movie came out in 2001, so this came out uh, before the Battle of Helm's Deep, if I'm if I'm doing my math right, I'll, I'll double check, I'm pretty sure Two Towers came out in 2002, uh, but then um, also before Return of the King, before Avengers Endgame, so I actually have an interesting theory around that, so if Avengers Endgame, and, you know, has this big battle where everyone's, uh, wow, I'm typing in Two Towers, start typing in Avengers, but, um, uh, Alan Silvestri does the score. Yeah, yeah. Two Towers came out in 2002. Um, Alan Silvestri does the score for this movie as well. He does the score for The Mummy Returns. He also does the score for Avengers Endgame. So honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, maybe uh, Alan probably told Kevin. He was like, hey, you know, I'm so happy that you've brought me back. I know you appreciated my prior work on uh, Mummy Returns, on Mouse Hunt. But, uh, you know, for Avengers Endgame, I, I saw that you're talking about trying to figure out how to do this final battle. Well, I don't know if you remember this, but I, I did The Mummy Returns, and there's a really big battle in there. So I bet you, I bet you, I bet you money that he had Kevin sit down in his private theater and watch Mummy Returns, probably had him watch Mouse Hunt too, 
and you can you can clearly tell that they pulled with the rat in Avengers Endgame. They pulled little bits and pieces from Alan Silvestri's prior films, and uh, so to me, I just I'm honored that one of my favorite movies, The Mummy Returns, is an inspiration for the Avengers Endgame, honestly, and maybe even for Infinity War in that regard. Just the big the big fight of people fighting. So. That's obviously skipping way ahead, but so these Anubis warriors, they help him, help the Scorpion King conquer, uh, I think he's in uh, Karnak, I'm, I'm not sure, but uh, he conquers them, and then they all disappear, and just when the Rock thinks that everything is okay, Anubis takes his uh, part of the bargain, and may, the Rock disappears. All that's left of the Scorpion King is a bracelet that looks like a scorpion. Very cool bracelet. And so then they do, just like in the old movie, the second, the first movie, they, they then fast forward to time. In time, it's like 1933 now. And uh, Evie, Rick, and Alex are in that same tomb, kind of walking around, exploring. And the reason that they're there, and this is why I think this movie is very underrated, is... Uh, there's a lot in this film that you could be like, are you serious? Like, why are you like, of course, of course, they would be in the exact tomb where the Scorpion King is. And the, the problem is you have to really look at the details. Evie is starting to get these visions of a past life where she is Nefertiri, who is the daughter of Seti the first from the first film. And so she's get she got a she had a dream and it took them to this place. So that makes sense why they're there. But she knows exactly how to get around. She's able to unlock the the scorpion tomb that's in here, and inside of this tomb is that bracelet. Excuse me. And so then uh, you know they escape. There's other people trying to get at them, and their sons sort of fending them off. But there's some really great bits in here because the uh, the son actually knocks over these pillars the same way that his mom knocked over the bookshelves in the prior movie, and I really liked that. But, you know, they're back home, and I, I loved this bit because they arrive back at their place, and they've got this giant house, like London Manor, the Library of Britain type of house, like Scotland Yard sort of thing. And uh, I just love that because inside of it, there's just paintings and art and books everywhere, statues. And I know partially it's because of all the journeys that they've been on, but it's also because of all the gold and treasure that they got from the first movie. Like I know they they bought a really nice house, so I think that's really cool. And uh, at the same time, though, the bad guys are back in the desert. They have an even bigger crew. And so those three bad guys that were attacking them at the beginning of the movie or are going to attack them at the beginning of the movie. They ended up having to run away. Uh, they're working for a guy named Mr. Hafez, who is the curator of the British Museum. But he is also working to get Imhotep back. And so with the help of the beautiful Patricia Velasquez, who is playing both Mila and Anaxuna Moon, she knows where to find the body, right? Of course she does. She was there, I think, basically when he died. So they are, they've got this giant crew, hundred, even more so than the last movie, hundreds and hundreds of people. I love how they explain or like kind of show it that, you know, they're not messing around. There's this whole bit where a bunch of people are digging in the sand and a bunch of scarabs, you know, show up and start eating people. Well, they don't run away. They, they get flamethrowers and kill all the bugs. So, like, they are not messing around. They eventually find Imhotep's uh, caramelized corpse, I guess you could say. It's like it's trapped in amber. That part was a little confusing, but I guess 10 years in the, 
the swamp that he fell into in the first movie. I guess that sort of makes sense. So they bring him back, and and we also get an introduction to a character named Lochna, who is also a breakout star in this movie for me because he is such an excellent fighter, played by Adewale Akanoye Agbaje. I hope I said that right. But um, but anyway, they and he's part of and the other thing too is that uh, Ardeth Bay Oded by Oded Fair, uh, our favorite guy from the first movie, he is kind of in this group uh, playing spy, and so they're all kind of doing their thing, and they say, okay, we're gonna take Imhotep back to the British Museum, and so at the same time, uh, they are trying to get the scorpion bracelet. So those three guys that were in there were supposed to be getting the bracelet back for them, and obviously they failed, but now they know where it is. They know the O'Connells have it. And so what it is, and what we find out, both through this explanation from the bad guys and then in the the, the future scenes that are next at the O'Connell's home, is that it is the year, it is the Egyptian year of the scorpion. Again, I don't know if that's a real thing. I don't know if that's true. But for this film, it works really nice because, of course, it's the year of the scorpion. And because of that, the scorpion king, uh, I, I, and here's, see, again, this is the part where I would say, where I give it a 9 out of 10, not a 10 out of 10. There's not a lot of explanation in regards to that. There's a little bit, but it's like, why now? Why? What happens if no one were to go wake up the scorpion king? Does he still wake up and try to kill the world? I'm not sure. So, uh, but what ends up happening is, is the, the plan is the bad guys are going to use Imhotep. They're going to awaken him so that he can fight the Scorpion King and kill him and then take over the Scorpion King's army. The legend of the Scorpion King is that due, due to this pact that he made with Anubis, anyone, or basically anyone who could defeat the Scorpion King gets control of him and his army they can do whatever they want with him they could use him for good they could use him for evil but the trick is you have to you have to not only beat the scorpion king you have to find where the scorpion king is located and you have to have that bracelet so there's there's some steps involved to be able to actually get what you want in regards to that and so they're a little behind now right they're missing the the bracelet so at the house uh, Alex gets the bracelet. He, you know, being a little kid, he finds it, but then he accidentally puts it on. And he just gets this awesome vision that shoots out from the bracelet of ancient Egypt and the pyramids. And essentially what the bracelet's doing is it's showing him the way to Amsher, to this oasis, where at the oasis, legend has it that there is a pyramid made. I think they said a pyramid made of gold, but basically there's a pyramid there. At the top of this pyramid is a giant diamond, but inside the pyramid is the tomb of the Scorpion King. And so you you use the bracelet. The bracelet guides you to this oasis, and then you insert your hand into this place, into a hole basically in the pyramid and it awakens the scorpion king it awakens the armies of anubis and you know at that point whoever kills the scorpion king can control the armies and uh so the bad guys are now going to the o'connell's house they break in and that was actually an awesome i love this scene everything about it is great i love that they think jonathan's there as well and he's the only person that really uh has not grown since the last movie, and I like that because he's still that rapscallion. And of course, he won uh, off a card game a very interesting, uh, what looks to be a trophy, but it is actually a scepter. 
and uh, comes in a lot very handy at the very end of the movie. So you could say that that's the Chekhov's gun at that point, or I wouldn't call it a red herring because it is it is definitely used. But um, you know, the bad guys show up. They think that Jonathan is Rick, and so they're interrogating him. Rick shows up, kicks ass. And we also get really, really some really great cool stuff from uh, Mila from Anaxuna Moon. Uh, she comes in in this very nice, uh, c- creepy black dress. She's got a snake and it just real creepy. And they end up kidnapping uh, the mom, Evie, and drive off with her. And at this point, you know, inside the house, multiple people are fighting. Rick's fighting people. Uh, Art of Bay shows up, and he's fighting Lochna. Uh, and eventually, again, everything kind of ends up in a stalemate. They think that they've got the Scorpion King's bracelet because they take the box. But again, Alex has the bracelet. He hid something else in the box so they wouldn't guess. So now these people are driving away, and they're trying to figure out, well, what are we supposed to do? How can we even find these people? And uh, the son says, well, the one guy, or he says, like, someone shows him a photo of, like, this is the guy. And he goes, I know who that is. That's the curator of the museum. And so they're like, oh, well, then that must be where they're going. Again, uh, iffy at best. But also, I'm I'm always for the child being the one to show the adults where things are. And obviously, he reveals that he's got the scorpion bracelet on. Uh, Art of Bay freaks out, says he's going to bring about the apocalypse. Rick's got a great line where he says, you, lighten up, you. Uh, that's enough. You get in the car, and uh, and so then they drive off. They go to the British Museum, and sure enough, there, uh, Mr. Hafez is kind of re bringing uh, him back to life, bringing Imhotep back to life, and Mila is there, you know, very excited. And Imhotep, again, I liked it too, where it's like, you know, the entire Mummy movie, the original Mummy movie, is all about this, all about bringing him back to life. Whereas in this film. A little easier. They have a lot more to get through, so they're going to bust through this. So they immediately bring him back. He tells Mila, and I like this, he says, like, you you are the body of a Noxuna moon, but you are only reincarnated. So we still have to get your soul back in your body. And then he looks over and he's like, who's this? And yeah, well, he doesn't say who's this. He says it's her. And she's like, yeah, you know, we wanted to bring you Evie basically as a, you know, we, we assumed you would want to kill her yourself. And he's like, ah, yes, this pleases me. But then obviously, you know, the, the good guys come in and save the day. Imhotep uh, awakens the last of his uh, warrior mummies, which was kind of cool. And so they chase after the O'Connells. And of course, dumb Jonathan ruins their chances of escape and getting away in a car. So they have to escape in a double-decker bus. There's probably a million other things they could have chosen, but that's what we get. And of course, those mummies jump onto the bus. We get a great bus fighting sequence, uh, including getting the the double decker, turning it into just a just a regular bus. If you follow me, but by then they escape and they have to they get to the edge of this bridge, and the bad guys show up in the blink of an eye. And I, I love this scene because I again I loved this movie. I love everything about this movie. I love the relationship between Rick and Evie in this movie. My wife did not like their relationship. She thought it was way over the top. And as I watched it this time, I now understand why. Because in this scene, after they've defeated all of the mummies, and it's just the five of them in this bus, uh, their their 10-year-old son is right there, 9-year-old son, Ardeth Bay is right there, barely know the guy, Your, your Rachel's brother, or Evie's brother, Jonathan, is right there too. 
Rick and Evie just start making out on this bus, and they're like, ooh, come here, I missed you so much, and I'm, and Lisa's like, why are they, why, and then, like, Alex walks down to the edge of the other end of the bus where the door is, and the bad guys snatch him, and she's like, of course they would snatch him, and I was like, oh, well, so that makes sense, they are so, they are so love crazy, they're, they're so into snogging that they aren't even paying attention to their son or to all the other people out there having to see the PDA, so, uh, that makes sense to me, but at the same time is kind of annoying. I was like, okay, come on. Like you couldn't have waited until you, you just spent all this time and now you've lost your son. And so they, they kidnap the son. They, they realize, and it's Lachna who figures out that the son is the one that has the bracelet. So they have now captured the son. They leave and, uh, they know from what Alex told them about what the bracelet showed them. So he said like, okay, essentially it showed where it's going to take them next once they get to this next spot, then it will take them, it'll show them the next one. So right now they know they need to go to Karnak. And so the bad guys go by train, and this is where Rick and company get a dirigible by their good buddy Izzy, played by Sean Parks. Uh, kind of a throwaway character, but he also had a couple of funny lines. Uh, but yeah, he's got, you know, they go there because they're looking for a plane and then and end up getting a dirigible, this giant floating, looks like a boat that has, it's basically a boat balloon. And it's so, you know, of course he says like, well, how much is this going to cost? And he's trying to give him a good price, but then he sees that scepter trophy and he's like, if you give me that, that's all I need. And, uh, so they leave, they, they fly off and I love, I love these bits because this, this is almost my favorite part of the, one of my favorite parts of the movie, because we re- you really get to hear, um, Alan Silvestri's score. It's this boom, 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 as they're, as they're slowly kind of doing the Indiana Jones traveling across the map as they're following their son, he is leaving, uh, little breadcrumbs behind at each location to tell them where the the bracelet took them next. And at the same time, for Alex, he's being towed around by these bad guys, and he's learning a little bit about them. But at the same time, we find that you know Imhotep obviously cannot be whole until the chest is. Whoever opens the chest and he swallows the people there, right? He eats their their souls. And so it was actually really, I like this scene. Uh, Anaxuna Moon tricks the three guys from the beginning into opening the chest and you know he so now he's whole he's completely whole and full and uh i love it too because he tries to scare alex and alex is not having it he kind of gets scared but it's like he's a tough bird and so eventually though of course right we you know they they find out that alex is leaving breadcrumbs and i love this we get uh lachna has some great lines that have always kind of stuck with me and even this scene i think is what kind of stuck with me where he says um he says something like "not in Lucky," and as he's, it's it's definitely an insult to Alex as he's walking away at one point. Uh, but then there's another bit where he needs to go to the bathroom, and uh, and that's actually how he gets to Karnak. But he's like, "I need to go to the bathroom," and Lachna's like watching him. He's like, "I can't go when you're not wa- when you're watching." And he turns around. He goes, "No, you need to get outside." He goes, "I know you're going to turn around and look." And he's like, "What?" And then he sits down on the toilet, and there's like read, there's reading material there. He goes, "Ooh, reading material." That made me laugh so much when I was a kid. But he eventually, like he, so he, and that's the first instance he escapes, gets inside Karnak, leaves a little clue for his parents, and then you know whatever. So, uh, but eventually, Lachna catches him, 
And uh, this was another one of those lines that always stuck with me where he says, surprised to see me leaving breadcrumbs. And then he smashes the little map that he was making his family. Uh, But of course, his family is very close by at this point. They are now at, they've gone to Abu Simbel. They've gone to a couple of other areas and they end up at this sort of chasm that is, uh, has water in it. And so um, Imhotep, uses his power to create, instead of a giant sand wall, a giant water wall, and eventually ends up smashing the the dirigible by the end. And it's a, it sucks because they're being chased by this wall, and Izzy has this NOS on his dirigible that speeds them up quite significantly, but of course, right before they exit, uh, it runs out of gas. And at the same time, uh, and it, I loved this, like I said, they, they always have explanations of why things are happening. Like it could have easily gone off the rails because at all, while all this is happening, Ardith Bay knows that they're going to have to fight the armies of Anubis. He knows this. Like the whole the situation at this point is the Scorpion King is going to wake up. It's all just who is going to end up controlling him. And so he brings along his trusted Falcon Horus, who, uh, which is awesome name for Falcon, and he is passing notes along to the tribes of the Magi. And this was actually one of my favorite lines of the movie, and something that me and my family, my cousins, we would always say this to each other. In the very beginning of the the first scene when they're with Izzy, he's looking out at these the kings or the leaders of these tribes, and he says, Allahumana. And they all go, Allahumana, and they like, and I'm doing it with my hand, you can't see me, but you basically like hold your hand up and then put it up to your heart. And so we would always do that to each other whenever we were going to do something, wherever we were going to leave. We just thought it was so badass. And uh, yeah, so, you know, so this whole time as they're going to all these different locations, he's sending a note by way of Horace to them so that they know where to go, which, like I said, in in a worse movie, in a, in a way worse movie, uh, the army of Anubis would show up and then the Magi would show up and you'd be like, where the heck did the Magi come from? And so I really appreciated that in multiple scenes, you've got Ardith sending this Falcon on his way saying, hey, let's go check it out. And then you actually get to see in multiple instances like, oh, this is a really big army. Like there's a ton of Magi. And what's really sad though is after this, uh, uh, Lachna is he- hears Horus a couple of times. Here's the little squeaks. And on this last bit where he see, they land, so the, their dirigible crashes in the middle of this oasis. So they're now in a jungle, which I liked. It's very cool. You're going from a uh, desert to jungle. And he sends Horus off, and Lachna shoots Horus and kills him. And ugh, just was so sad. It was un- unnecessary. But it also makes sense, so now they don't really know what's going on. And so he says... And I loved this bit too. He's like, hey, I've got to go. I've got to go tell these tribes because the army is going to come. And if we're not ready, we're going to lose. And I loved this. Rick was like, please. He says, like, I I need your help finding my son. And I I forgot what ended up happening. And I was like, he's going to leave. Like, duty always comes first for Ardeth Bay. And he says, fine, we'll, we'll find your son first. And and he says, thank you. And I love that. I love that there's that little shift in Ardeth that now he he cares about the O'Connells. And he really wants to, you know, make sure they're okay. So now we get into this new jungle setting. And we actually get a new mummy here, which is the Pygmy Mummy. This scene, this whole, this whole thing is awesome. I love these little pygmy mummies. They're super scary. They're super creepy. And they do not 
take well to strangers. They like ripping people apart and ruining their lives. And so, again, we get the bad guys are in there. The good guys are in there. We get a great bit where Jonathan and Evie are up top and they're sniping for Ardeth Bay and uh, Rick. So as they're fighting the bad guys and fighting mummies and trying to get Alex back. And so the bad guys are kind of traversing through this jungle. Imhotep and uh, Anaxuna Moon are not concerned because the mummies will not even come close to Imhotep because of how powerful that he is. And he is so that they're carrying the Book of the Dead in order to, um, at that point, I don't even, oh, I think they're just keeping it as, a, as insurance because the Book of the Dead brings you back to life. So if they lose the fight to the Scorpion King, Anaxuna Moon could just bring Imhotep back to life and, and do it all over again sort of thing. During all of the hubbub, though, they do find Alex and get him to safety, but Alex, you know, tells them a very crazy thing. He says, Imhotep told me that uh, if if the bracelet is not within the pyramid by the sunrise on the a seventh day, that the person wearing it will die, and it's about to be sunrise. So Rick races ahead, carrying Alex, and makes it just in time, but not fast enough be, for not for Alex. But while he's doing that, Evie gets stabbed in the chest by Noxuna Moon, and I, I didn't I didn't mention this earlier, and and call it because of the movie or just because I forgot, but Evie has this whole kind of secondary story, and so does Rick, and I, I didn't dive into it, but we get multiple instances where Ardeth Bay is talking with Rick and where Evie is getting these visions where they are both, it appears, they are both destined to be doing what they are doing. Evie is apparently the reincarnated Nefertiri, the, again, the daughter of Seti, who, in these flashbacks, was very close to Anaxuna Moon, not necessarily friends, but they fight, and they have a really cool choreographed fight, but then we get to see, and I loved this, we get to see more, this felt like a Marvel movie in this regard, to where we got background to a prior scene in the first movie, so at the very beginning of The Mummy, if you remember, Anaxuna Moon and uh, Imhotep are in love and they're hiding their love they're on the balcony or whatever and then the guards come and i remember in that movie going like who called the guards we find out that the person who called the guards on them was rachel weiss was nefertiri and so she was watching them uh kind of sneak off from a different balcony and so she sees the guards down below and says please like my father needs help because they're killing him and so they show up and kill everyone. So she's the one that actually kind of saved the day in that regard, which is interesting. But obviously, you know, she's not that person anymore sort of thing. And so that's her thing. Rick's thing is that he has a tattoo on his arm that is apparently a symbol that they see in some pyramids. And Ardeth Bay explains that that is like the tattoo of the Magi, basically. That they are, that he is a protector. And he was like, it's very fitting don't you think that you are married to the reincarnated nefertiri in a sense and he's like oh you know i don't believe in any of that stuff and so we kind of get that and so you know anaxuna moon has now killed nefertiri in that regard or killed evie evie is dead and they're kind of trying to figure out what to do rick's like i've still got to push push forward though and so he heads into the temple to try and stop things where jonathan and alex are figuring out like okay well what are we going to do like what are we going to do and eventually um, Alex is like, ah, yeah, the book, the, the book of the dead, they could use that to bring her back. So they head inside 
and get the book, and we get the great callback to where Alex actually can read everything in the book, but the only thing he doesn't know is Amenophis, the stork. And so John's like, Amenophis! And so great. But at the same time, you know, he's fighting uh, he's fighting Imhotep, and then Mr. Hafez picks up the Scorpion King bracelet that Alex had dropped because obviously when he went into the pyramid, it came off of his hand. And so he just threw it. And so Hafez gets it, puts it on, puts his hand into this thing to release the army and it ends up ripping his hand up and he eventually ends up dying. So like that whole thing is not a big deal. Yeah. Uh, the Scorpion King actually rips him in, into fourths. And, but at the same time now, Ardith Bay is back with the Magi, and the army of Anubis is showing up. So we are about to get this giant battle with the army of Anubis. And it's a great battle. For 2001, it's an awesome battle. And at the same time, we have a battle with the Scorpion King, Rick, and Imhotep. But of course, Imhotep is an absolute coward, and he tells the Scorpion King, Ooh, I actually wasn't here to fight you. I'm just your servant. And, but this guy's the one who fights you. So the Scorpion King kind of takes all of his anger out on Rick. I I will point out if I didn't, I feel like we'd be doing a disservice. The Scorpion King is now no longer the rock. It is a CGI rock that is just a CGI of his head and chest and arms. And then, well, no, 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 his head and chest, his arms are scorpion pincers he has multiple other pincers. He also has a whole entire scorpion body and a scorpion tail, which I get it. The rock's a big deal. It's probably tricky to get him in so many scenes. But if you're mar- you're marketing this movie as this is Dwayne's first movie, all this stuff. I remember that. There's a lot of hype around the rock being in this movie, and that's it. You only get the scene of him at the very beginning, the first scene of the movie, figuring out how he becomes the Scorpion King, and then this battle, where he looks, honestly though, in 4K, it looked better than the last time that I saw it, but it's still like, I mean, they they were doing what they could with what they could, and it shows, but I'm not going to hold it against them. Like I said, the character is cool, so this Scorpion King guy is just wrecking shop, killing everybody, uh, ripping people in fourths, and we find out at that point you know, as the battle's slowly kind of getting on, and the army of Anubis is really going full bore against the Magi, and eventually, though, they end up beating them, and the the Magi actually end up beating the army of Anubis, you have to cut off their heads, all this stuff, it's actually a really cool scene, but then Ardith Bey hears something, senses something, and he runs off, and over the hill, we see an army that is 10 times as big as the one they just fought, and he's like, he says, to the death, and they're all getting ready to fight. So at this time, we find uh, Rick is walking through a tunnel. He like ran to hide and, and is coming back around. And in this tunnel, there are kind of uh, hieroglyphs that are showing somebody that has the same tattoo as him. And so he's like, all right, I'm a believer. And they're, they're show, showing them getting the spear, turning that trophy into a spear. And so he runs back outside, about, out into the main room. And he's like, Jonathan, it's a spear, it's a spear. And... Now everyone kind of knows it, like uh, Imhotep knows it, Anaxuna Moon knows it, and so eventually what ends up happening is Jonathan throws the spear to get it to Rick. Imhotep catches the spear in mid-flight. He then throws it at the Scorpion King. Rick catches that before it gets to the Scorpion King. So Rick now has it, but the Scorpion King is about to kill him, and he is able to impale the Scorpion King with this spear, and he says, go to hell and take your friends with you. 
and the Scorpion King and the entire army of Anubis go to hell, and along with the entire oasis. So this entire area that's been created by Anubis is uh, is starting to implode on itself. So like all of the jungle is being sucked inside of this pyramid, and now they have to escape. And I loved this bit because both Rick and Imhotep are now trapped on the edge of this chasm. And I always think that this is from the first movie too, but it's not. This is the movie that has it in it. And this is also a an amazing line that my cousins and I would always, we would always do this in the pool uh, because it's the same thing. So picture yourself in a pool and you're hanging onto the edge of the pool. You're hanging onto the, the I don't know what you would call that, the sidewalk of the pool and the grip area, and, you know, just the same as Rick and Imhotep are hanging onto the edge of this chasm, below them are hundreds of thousands of the dead, dead bodies trying to pull them in, basically like a Hercules-type situation, and they're both sitting there, and, you know, Imhotep is looking at Anaxuna Moon, Rick is looking at Evie, and Rick says to Evie, Evie, don't even think about it, get out of here, just run and go, and Evie does not listen. She races up to save him, and she's she's risking her life because, again, this pyramid is collapsing. There are giant stalagmites that are stalactites that are falling and uh, hitting the ground, and she she ends up pulling him up, and Imhotep kind of looks at them like, damn, that's that's relationship goals. And so he's like, well, maybe I could do the same. And so he says, Anaxona Moon, Semoe, Semoe. And she says, Nai, and she runs off. And so translated, that is Anaxuna Moon, save me, save me. And she says, no, and she runs away, only to then trip and fall into a pit of scorpions where she eventually dies as well. And I loved this scene because uh, Imhotep is so sad. And he just looks at them like as tears are forming. Because when you think about it, at the end of the day, yeah, he's a bad guy. But he did all of this for love. He did all of this. Obviously, you know, there's a little bit of power in there. He wanted to rule the scorpions. But uh, but he loved Anaxuna Moon. And, and she, you know, gave up on him. And, and it really sucked. And so, yeah, we would be, my cousins had this, uh, you know, and any we'd do it at my cousin's house. We'd do it at our house. But so we'd be at the edge. And, you know, there's like a wall on the other side of their pool that you could stand on a couple feet above it. And so one of us would be sitting on the pool, holding our hand up, Anaxuna Moon, <laughs> Semui. And then the other person would be up on top and they'd say, Nai! And they would, you know, hit them back into the pool. And so the whole point of the game, I guess, we, you know, we kind of turned it into a game, was that you had to knock the person into the pool as they begged for you to save them. And uh, so you can, as you can see, you know, we had a really fun childhood, but, uh, you know, they end up getting out and they climb to the top of the pyramid. And sure enough, at the top of the pyramid is this beautiful, gorgeous diamond. And of course, Izzy shows up at the last minute to save them. They grab the diamond and they escape. And the last, that's it. That's the end of the movie is the, you know, them talking and saying, I can't believe it. Uh, Ardeth Bay is looking up from the sand. They're cheering and screaming all the bat, all the army of Anubis disappeared and uh, it's just gorgeous. It was amazing. And like I said, it's it's just such a good movie. There's so much about it to love. There's a little bit about it to get upset about. But if you're into ancient Egypt, if you're into that lore, if you love The Rock, if you love Rachel Weisz and Patricia Velasquez, and if you're a huge fan of Brendan Fraser and you are Team Fraser, which I am, I was I was actually almost named Fraser. And uh, and I, I've had a friend named Brandon, so or Brendan, yeah, well, it was Brandon, so it doesn't count, but. Uh, I just, I love this movie. Like I said, 9 out of 10. Uh, there's a little bit about it that isn't as good 
in regards to the first movie, but the both of these Mummy movies, I could watch again and again. I love them. They never get old to me. Now, the real question is going to be when I watch The Scorpion King, how that one holds up. I haven't seen that in uh, like five years, and then I haven't seen Tomb of the Dragon Emperor in a long time. When the, I, I know I watched that movie. I didn't watch it in theaters. Okay, so that movie came out in 2008. I probably saw it in 2009 or 2010, and I I don't remember much. All I remember is thinking I can't believe that they recast Evie. So I'm really looking forward to reviewing both of those as well, and I'm shocked that I was able to pull off 48 minutes talking about The Mummy Returns, but if you guys had let me, I would have gone another 48 minutes. And it's ironic because the meta score for The Mummy Returns is 48, so this is the perfect spot to wrap all of this up. So hopefully you guys enjoyed this. Like I said, 20 years ago, this movie graced our presence. I didn't get to see it in theaters. I wasn't old enough but i did get to watch it over and over and over again on dvd and recently now yesterday on um uh on 4k and it is available all of these mummy movies are available on hbo max so uh that is where we're going to wrap things up for comics and cinema i'm your host alex klein thank you so much for listening and we will see you at the oasis of amshare. Um,